So, um, in the presentation of the Buddha Dharma, really recognizes our experience in terms of dynamics, not exactly entities, not fixed substantial things, but dynamics, things that are in process, have the appearance of things, solid things. Uh, but actually everything is dynamic and shifting. Now, the interpretation that is made is of solid things. <laughs> so even a mountain, which looks very solid, is actually what? A moment, a visual impression. The next moment is something different. So sometimes, you know, we're sitting, we go into the library for our breakfast and sit there and it's dark and then and it becomes these silhouettes with little points of light on them and then it becomes washes of colour and then they become mountains and then they become bright lights and, and you don't have to do anything you just sit there and it happens <laughs> and so even a mountain is a constant process of change as an experience as an actual felt experience, direct experience. So, you know, I guess looking at it is very different from climbing it. <laughs> so they're all direct experiences, aren't they? But what is a mountain? Yeah. <laughs> that looks pretty solid. <laughs> yeah. And of course, it's itself, it's changing, you know, it's crumbling and avalanches and rock falls and rivers carving it up and so on. And yet we talk about you know mountains as things. It's a it's a handy organization of reality. And of course even more so is human bodies definite. Yeah, that's her, that's him. Yeah, that thing. Well <laughs> Actually, to look at what you experience, visual appearance, which changes, yeah. feelings, interest, lack of interest, opinions, perceptions, changes, uh, shape of the thing changes, hair changes shape, uh, in the day, yeah. expressions change, modalities change, and uh, familiarities change. And impressions change. So what's that? What's a body like to a fashion designer? What's a body like to a surgeon? What's a body like to a mortician? Or a dog? (laughs) Well, what you could say is all of them are changing experiences which are subjectively sensed. And in fact, uh, the more you kind of contemplate, you really doubt the existence of the objective world at all. <laughs> it's a handy, well, it's something we create uh, or is fashioned by our mental consciousness, but, you know, objective world, objective reality, I doubt it.
But what you really directly experience is changing impressions, isn't that right? Yeah. A lot of it's moving, moving quickly, or repeating itself, or measuring itself. Is that her or is it? Oh no, is it? No, it's not her. It's of course not her because it's not got the same, you know, do, 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 do. you know, that thing going on. Is she happy or not? No, is she annoyed with me or not? Tracking, tracking. Dynamics till I get ah, oh, that's it, and then it changed. <laughs> <laughs> so we know all that. It's subjective, and uh, that's felt. You know? It's definitely something that um, you're involved with. Aroused by. Threatened by, comforted by, confused by. And have to relate to. The problem with objective reality is you don't really have to relate to it. You know, mountain. So what? <laughs> if it's just an object, it gives a sense of, uh, Ethical indifference. (laughs) Ethical indifference. If we treat other people as just objects, right, what happens to a sense of sympathy, conscious of concern, loving kindness, where does that go? If we just say that's just a, you know, how do people manage to kill each other, you know, not just ones or twos, but hundreds of people committed to killing other people. You don't see them as, you know, you see them as whatever you want to call them. Nazis, communists, whatever. You know, you give them a label, object, and then you, then you cut off the empathy, right? You don't think of their children, you don't think of their pain, you don't think of their precious life and their potential for joy and happiness. You just see, because you can't. You're trained not to. You don't even see them sometimes, you just go shoot at some target, object. And that's obviously a very strong example of it. But, uh, you know, a lot of our uh, working reality is based upon objective realities, um, which uh, give rise to a sense of um, separation. And... Uh, you know, stereotypes, caricatures, statistics, you know, and unskillful states. Unskillful states. Controlling. Oh, these five people want to go there. This country, you do that. This town, and this nation. You know, and you kind of find yourself involved with this crazy thing. trapped by it, along with the various things that are supposed to make it all great, like you, well, you can buy some cool stuff, so as, as before we came here, there's a little act of generosity and friendliness, uh, you know, the community, or Stefan 
organised. We go out for a little trip just to freshen up after our plane flights. So we went into the mountain and we went into Luckham, a nice little town. Walking along, it's kind of what wristwatches. Yeah, fatigue. Oh my God, wristwatches. Yeah. Okay, next shop. Next shop, wristwatches. <laughs> you know, walk along the street with more wristwatches. Well, the group people are obsessed with wristwatches. This town. You know, the kind of Patek Philippe, Bourgine, you know, the names on me go, wristwatches. And the windows is wristwatches. This is crazy about telling the time, you know. <laughs> this is so important. I say, no, it's not about telling the time. What's the wristwatch for? Um... <laughs> Well, how come you spend, you know, 5,000 5, francs on the thing? Because <laughs> you put it on your wrist. <laughs> and then, well, other people see it. <laughs> and then, well, then you're cool. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then what? Well, then you've got to go places and show other people it. And you hang out with cool people. Right? And then... <laughs> And then you have a few drinks, and then, <laughs> and then, and then, <laughs> well, <laughs> what's all that about? <laughs> Does it lead to skillful states? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I suppose if you get a good one, you make sure you get to work on time. If you get to work on time, you get paid, so you can buy another wristwatch. <laughs> <laughs> Even better one. There's <laughs> something fundamentally wrong with human beings. <laughs> so that's the, all the, you know, the value has gone outside, hasn't it? All the value is in the glitter and the gold and the diamonds. Yeah. And uh, you see that, that process. And then, well, what does that mean? You know, it means privilege, it means isolation, it means separation, it means wealthy people, poor people, it means, you know, prestige, it means manipulation, it means power, it means, you know, inequality, it means resentment, it means crime, it means exploitation of the planet, it means, you know, you actually look at the underside of it, yeah, you know, it's man goes on a bias and wristwatch. Okay, he's probably a decent enough fellow. But you actually start to look at the kind of what's underneath it all. It's not really skillful, is it? You know? Does it lead to skillful states? No. Does it support skillful states? Well, you know, not really. You can be a good watchmaker, I suppose, but it doesn't mean you're going to be a happy, realised being because of that. <laughs> so, suppose the energy goes into that. And the, 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 our lives get shaped by that. So, from, you know, in, in quite intrusive ways. This is a small example, isn't it? But 
Yeah. So then you go to London, you see some of these houses, they call gated houses, big house, with you know, fences around it and alarm signals and sentinels and so forth. Who lives in there? Oh, nobody. What's this big house? Oh, it's just some, some billionaire owns it. Does it? Nobody lives in it? No. <laughs> it's an investment. Oh. <laughs> and those people standing on the street with this basin in front of them, what are they? They're homeless people. They do a house, do they? Oh, yeah. Uh, why do you put them in that house? <laughs> well, there's nobody in it. Oh, you can't do that because it's owned. Oh. So these people don't get any shelter. No. This person has a shelter but doesn't use it. Yeah. Is that skillful? <laughs> Market forces, investment policy, the wealth of the economy. <laughs> What's an economy? What's an economy? Why is everything, why can't we, you know, what's it, what's an economy? Why is it that we always say it's because of the economy? We're sorry we can't stop killing animals because of the economy. What's an economy? (laughs) Economy means um, house management. Literally it's the Greek. Okay, what's the house? What house do we live in? I guess we probably say we live on the planet Earth. So why do we burn down the house in order to manage it? (laughs) 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 Ignorance has to be the answer. Ignorance. The shift to an objective reality that has no value in itself. Uh, is of no real substance. Um, it's just, it carries what we place upon it, what you project upon it. We've decided that gold is precious, which is just, just a bit of metal, really. It's not even as good as iron. You can't do much with it. But we decided it's precious, and so you can pollute rivers and so forth, kill and hoard and so forth, because we decided that. Was that a, you know, crazy, isn't it? So, you know, we're all sort of in, in that. And, uh, even, you know, I was not really deeply involved with it or just including it because that's what we were born into. Even more, uh, as you meditate and you practice, cultivate the way, you begin to question the value of it, of objective reality. You know, in terms of how much benefit is it? Does it cause skillful states to arise? States that you like to linger with your heart is made happy by and dwells in. To what extent is that true? Mm. Comforted, refuge, solace, security, stability, well-being, loving kindness. What? Uh, no. The best thing that we can do is if these qualities are generated subjectively, we can transmit them you know, into, a, into something that seems objective. We can transmit, we can play 
the qualities of goodwill into this world of sort of semi-appearances. And clearly this is why the Buddha decided to teach in a world which is deeply fashioned around unknowing ignorance, not seeing. Uh, People experience themselves as separate entities stuck inside bodies, uh, experiencing pain and distress, definitely subjectively that, out of compassion. We are involved with this strange, fleeting, illusory, poignant, phenomenological world of appearances. Mm. And, yeah, and (laughs) there's something that's not that. Naturally, all the energy goes into that objectification experience. So things are objectified, made into objects, just as we can make a person into an object. And we make ourselves into an object. We create something called a self. And we look at that and contemplate that and think about that and measure that and worry about it. This objectification goes deep. As a process, energy goes into it trying to make it right. Frustration, particularly it goes deep. You can't even make yourself right. <laughs> because it's an object. It's an illusion. And, of course, we can be aware of that. And just a a slight, just a slight shift of energy, of emphasis. Just restraining the senses, limiting sense activity. Just even limiting it to a certain set of behaviours, moral behaviours. We can still live by it. And even that degree of limitation, you get to witness, doesn't it? By that fact alone, you notice all these impulses and intentions and mood shifting. And you take up something like, you use something like sitting still as a simple, you know, activity that requires no particular belief or indoctrination. You you can sit still, (laughs) just about sit down. That's what it does anyway. So you go into that experience, and you go into the experience of sitting still, or roughly still, you think, wait a minute, what body? It's not the visual thing at all, is it? Let alone things like liver and spleen, I mean, which I'm told are there. <laughs> um, but, right, where subjectively, yeah, 
what's experienced is sensations, um, subtle energies, things that are flowing and changing. And you can be aware of that. And just that, just that shifting of awareness by questioning without really any deep indoctrination to a, into another set of realities or beliefs, just by questioning the apparent reality that one is inducted into, just by putting a few restraining filters on it, voluntarily, I think start the, the country starts to kind of be revealed. Yeah. And what body? See something. Right? I mean, what you see, this thing is very different. I never see it. <laughs> I'm a fossil photographing, who's that? You know? that and uh, you know, experience qualities that feel like a certain sense of pressure, uh, heat, uh, vibration, movement, turbulences, spaces, uh, fluidities. Yeah, those things are happening and they're all shifting and changing. Uh, and that's subjective. And, you know, and that is more more subjectively, less fixed. And then you begin to review that experience. You sense, well, whatever it is, it's not a single thing. It's a diversity that's kind of shaping and fashioning and conjuring and reacting to itself. Diversity. It's called kaya. Kaya. Kaya means body but it means body in the same way as we might say like a body of knowledge yeah, or a body of wisdom or a body of you know collection essentially so one term is called kaya the collection <laughs> which is closer to it isn't it or rupa means a shape so it's often called the Rupakaya, means the shape collection. <laughs> uh, which, you know, it doesn't really go down well in wrist, with wristwatches or <laughs> fashion accessories, you know. You know, what kind of thing would you like to put in your shape collection today? <laughs> But it does give you the impression of something that's quite, you know, like an illusion. It's a shape. It's a dancing shape. Like a candle flame, you know. Uh, and it's a collection of it, of qualities that are cast, merging together. Uh, and you can be aware of that. And why? Because when you're aware of that, certain, um, uh, Behaviors change. A sense of solidity shifts. So you really don't need solidity. You need relationship. You don't need things to be solidly there. You need to learn how to work 
calming, steadying, easing, and you notice those textures and, and qualities begin to change into something more peaceful, uh, where skillful qualities can come forth, because you're relating to it, rather than just seeing it as a fixed thing. How do you relate to it? Kindly, sensing it, listening to it. How does this operate best? You know, what causes calm or peace or happiness to arise here? What makes this steadier? How do I relate to it? See, so your, your awareness of that begins to ask for, are you really aware of it, not just blankly staring at it? <laughs> But really sensing it, getting it, and, and re- oh, this is this, it begins to suggest, you know, what well, you should relate to this, you know. So, because if you put an attitude of, of, of uh, aggression into that, you can see the, the effects. Things tighten up, you know, energy shift, and, uh, <clears throat> And then if you follow it harmoniously, you'll see there's a kind of harmonizing quality within that. The vitality currents, you tune into those, they're going steady. So why don't I relate to that steadying, regenerating, vitalizing quality? It not only feels good, but my relationship to that, when I relate to that, my mind becomes more sensitive, attuned, compassionate, agile, accurate. Not just blindly assuming things. So so just recognize and begin to learn this because sometimes we want a nice simple object like just breath, switch it on, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, there it is, boom, you know, Get your metronome out, or get your. You know, I've got one of those, and dang, there it is. You know, I've got it nice and clear on my screen as an object. Telling an object of reality is a dead end. In <laughs> uh, subjectivity, and recognizing all subjectivity, that's respectful, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's mutually sensitive. How is this? And how does this work? And what's a skillful response? It's going to bring out qualities of patience, generosity, kindness, care, learning, humility. Make a mistake, don't worry about it. Next moment. You know, trial and error, encouraging that. And it's going to start to feel a little more comfortable and peaceful in getting feedback, skillful states. And when you do that kind of learning, and you actualize, means you really integrate those things. This is not just something I do when I meditate. This is actually the proper way to, <laughs> to live. Then the chances are, that's going to be the way we, we manifest in all pursuits, in all ranges of experience. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, I don't know if I finally even get it in my dreams, I get these kind of ethical things when somebody goes, oh, don't do that, you know, or uh, has the food been offered, you know. Because <laughs> you've been so trained in it, you can't even have a reckless dream anymore. <laughs> God, so it's been so essentially steeped in that, you know, in that in that rela- relational uh, or ethical <laughs> concern. It's no longer something I have to think about as an automatic. Uh oh, you know. Uh, okay, kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, so you know, then you, you, this is actually conducive by itself doesn't mean I've got to conjure up some good stuff. It means if you relate to things fully, properly, with full awareness, you'll find automatically there's a process whereby skillful states come to the fore. You just don't want the unskillful ones. They either don't arise or they half arise and you don't want it. It doesn't feel... And so one who's arrived at this is someone who has definitely made a good establishment for their well-being, for the well-being of others. Isn't that correct? And then the objective reality is something you just, okay, something you have, you just begin to, you know, use that for communication and in this world of of based upon unknowing, based upon a set of standards that we've all been born into that actually don't work very well. And out of sense of empathy, you know, that's what we do, that's what happens. In fact, you can't really avoid it. And it's actually quite practical, pragmatic. I mean, I find that I, I've less and less, as you get older, you know, things, the objective world has moved along technologically way beyond my capacity <laughs> to manage it. <laughs> uh, I think it was, I think it was about 50, when I was about 50, I found out what a toaster was, electric toaster which is a source of incredible wonder <laughs> because when we when I was a little boy we didn't have an electric toaster an electric toaster maybe the queen had one but <laughs> you know I could imagine it's an electric toaster must be good to be a queen you know but we had like a little pan you stick it under the grill and there's these flames you put it under the grill and you never know when it's going to but when you get the sense of black smoke coming out, <laughs> you know the bread has been toasted. It's very reliable. <laughs> you just scrape the charcoal off, and then you eat it. <laughs> a simple system. <laughs> so that's when I was very young, and then as I kind of went out on my own, university toast didn't bother me. Just kind of cup of coffee, cigarette. Get to the lecture and then get some junk food, 
eat greased, greasy food right down your throat, have a few drinks, <laughs> smoke some more. <laughs> and then you go through that and you get into the 20s, you get into, okay, start the day with substance abuse. <laughs> Didn't bother with breakfast, just get, <laughs> at all. It's just kind of, <laughs> just food was not in it, what not, or something, you know, mostly just too involved with various forms of mania. And just to, to really concern yourself with toast. And then I became a monk. So then you didn't get any toast. <laughs> so it was only about, I think when I came to Switzerland, they had a toaster. And I thought, wow, what's that? I said, oh, I said, I've heard of these things. So, and they put the bread in, and they push the thing down, and it pinged up again. <laughs> <laughs> That was so cool. <laughs> I only got a kick out of that. But that was about as far as I got. Because <laughs> a few years ago, somebody introduced me to the microwave, which I could barely believe possible. This little box with a window on it. <laughs> And you put something in it, and it goes around the wheel, and it comes out, and it's kind of cooked. Believe it. So I had one of these. I had a cup of, I have a cup of soya milk, I think, something, with some, I had some spirulina milk. I'll put that in there, heat it up. So I put it in there, and then watched it. And eventually, the soya milk flew over the top of the cup, stuck down the sides of the cup. <laughs> uh, I don't think I can handle technology. <laughs> so I gave up on the microwave. And just stay with toasters. So generally when I get out and around, it's quite an, it can be quite a nerve-wracking experience because, uh, as I say, when I was a boy, you used to have bus tickets, you get a piece of paper and then somebody comes along and punches it and piece of paper and you know where you are. And then you get this kind of, somebody gives you an, this kind of squiggly barcode. And what do you do with that? And you, you, and you watch other people, what they're doing, some kind of stick them in slots or slap them on plates. So Doro, it's amazing. But it's a little bit nerve-wracking because, uh, you know, basically I know I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so, you know, I feel like a pathetic old idiot. <laughs> and then you stand there and then somebody kind person comes and says, right, just take that and put it in there. So I think actually that caused skillful states to arise. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, uh, why do we have to be so good at everything? <laughs> you know, that kind of other myth of an objective reality is I'm a separate entity, I can look after myself, I don't need anybody, I've got my stuff together. You know, I can do toasters, I can have credit cards, you know, I've got it all together. Well... Isn't it nice just to help each other? <laughs> Isn't that better? Rather than everybody out of hold their own as some kind of separate entity, just, I don't know what's going on. Okay, I'll help you. Let's figure it out. Isn't that better? So it's kind of worked for me. <laughs> uh, 
And then, of course, you're prepared because you realize the most important thing is your own, you know, your own heart. So, okay, be patient. Okay, it didn't work. Never mind. You know, because finally, I'm not here for this anyway. You know, I'm not here for this. Uh, I'm here for, you know, if things don't work, that's okay. I can't be with that. I don't get upset if things break down. It's okay, I'm not here for things, I'm not here for that kind of thing. Things don't have to be that fantastic, great, orderly, organized, perfect, crisp. Let's just get on comfortably and in harmony. Objective world doesn't work, let's face it. (laughs) And then, oh, that's got the priorities right. (laughs) They get the priorities right. And that's going to work. You know, what you know about all objective realities, they're always going to break down. You know, so airports, I get some airport. You know, Chicago, was it Chicago, I think? Dreadful place, dreadful airport. Get this place and get there. Three o'clock in the afternoon for a six o'clock flight. See you there. Five o'clock flight delay, two hours. Okay. Flight delayed till eight o'clock. Seven o'clock. Flight delayed till ten o'clock. Look at the board again. Uh, Flight change to uh, gate 27 or something. Say, get up, move over to gate 27. 11 o'clock. Flight delayed until midnight. Uh, Flight (laughs) cancelled. So immediately this kind of tsunami of rage arises. <laughs> there's, this, there's a couple of people behind a desk. And there's a tsunami of rage. <laughs> I'm supposed to be going to Berlin. I'm to like a wedding in Romania. <laughs> I'm looking around thinking, oh, where's the place I can lie down? A bit of carpet somewhere, get a cushion under my head. That's what I'm concerned about. Okay, looks like I'll be here for the night. Something will change. So it didn't bother me really. You know, and then the funny thing was, all these people shouting and screaming. I'm just standing there kind of looking away, feeling a bit of compassion for these people. Oh dear. And they come over to me and say, can we help you, sir? (laughs) (laughs) Here's a little voucher. Voucher, what do I do with that? You go to... Where's that? Okay, just go down there and give you a voucher and you'll get a place to stay. Okay, get this voucher. Wander around, get on a bus somewhere, get to this hotel and get to the hotel. So there's a key line, they give you a free night in a hotel. So I get this hotel and it's like, I don't know, two o'clock in the morning or something. So we're all lined up. So she gets, so she comes with there, she says, okay, um, can I have your credit card, please? Don't have a credit card. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, cash? Don't have cash. 
Flugs me goes. Well, just go to room five. (laughs) 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 So, you know, skillful states arose, didn't they? (laughs) Yeah. And systems break down. What you can know every system, whether it's a watch, you know, car, government. <laughs> you just wait, wait for the crash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put more energy into making it work, and more money, and more pressure to make it work, and drive people harder to make it work, <laughs> and it breaks down. Make people's lives depend upon it, rely upon it, sell it to him, say this is the happy skies, this is the way to convenience and comfort, watch it break down. Both for me, I'll make you peaceful and have wake, watch it break down, wait till it breaks down. <laughs> yeah, what doesn't break down? <laughs> Skillful states. Loving kindness, patience, careful attention, doesn't break down. You know, so you start to just add it up over time. It's this one. Prioritize the rest of it. Yeah, get by, you know. (laughs) Prioritize this. Having seen that, realized that, and you said the Buddha says he saw this same kind of thing, then the mind becomes one pointed. Which doesn't mean it's focusing on a particular topic, it means one aim in mind. Cultivate skillful states, don't get lost, don't give yourself away to a, an illusion, don't spend your energy on something that's going to disappoint you, you know, invest it in something that's going to really give you value, benefit for your welfare and others. This becomes one pointed theme, you yeah. Then he starts to say, okay, as he said, when my mind was one-pointed like that, I directed it to the body. Embody it. It gives it a certain resonance starts to occur. (coughs) You know how we really like to get feedback from each other? We seek something from each other and say, am I okay? How's that with you? Very important part of any relational learning, isn't it? Well, now you're getting feedback from your body. Uh, and when you when you hit the good stuff, it, you can sense it goes. Mm. And when you hit the bad stuff, it goes. <laughs> yeah, we could listen to it. And uh, what do I mean by the body? Already been through that. Again, this is. Uh, <laughs> The language is somewhat confusing because I'm not really addressing the objective uh, phenomenon that we call the body, but it's subjectively lived, embodied reality. Mm-hmm. And it's tensions and constrictions and spaciousness and releases and fluidities and this living flow of vitality. 
within that. And the Buddha says, within this, you'll see the beginning of the world and the ending of the world and the passing away within this. You know, something I was saying within the body, like you open a carcass up and look look around, I don't see anything in here. It's within the it's within the consciousness of body, right? So you see consciousness as an external aspect or an externalizing aspect, right? which produces the sensory objective world, and as an internalizing aspect, which produces the felt, sensed, what we call the internal. Now, it's, these are just terms because obviously language itself is very slippery and, um, you know, often you see these words internal, external, sometimes translated as here, or ajata, bahida, ajata, here, internal, bahida, there, external. That's the translations. And, um, you know, but kind of like here is pretty good actually because it, it's slightly what? But it's better to have a, an authentic question than a clear delusion. <laughs> yeah. So the question here, what's here? What do you mean here? Here. Say so subjective here, but it just you know what you ask our, our energy and attention is to come back. A sense of it's, 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 I mean, you know, it's a deepening, as if there's a, we've skipped along the surface, and there's a deepening to a domain of experience, definitely felt, definitely sensed, definitely uh, navigatable through, uh, and uh, subject to horrors and beauty. Uh, and this is the one that's the most important because as you, you, know, you may begin to realize as you probably do but the instruction is this is where the good the results of good and bad deeds land they don't just disappear into history They stay there. And good and bad is very simplistic and perhaps over simplistic statement, but confused, misguided. Uh, action, speech, just distorted by ignorance and tinted with some kind of fear or craving or illusion or another and that, that stays there and actions that are void of that or have less of it that stays there too so there's a whole range of, of colorations this is called karma and the Buddha's um, realizations on his uh, night of awakening powerful realization very powerful realization because this means you now you know, it's not just what you've inherited, which can make you feel a little bit aghast, but also what you do now, now, that is going to be stored. That's going to be 
internalize that's going to be part of your subjective domain so then the priority is okay whatever's been whatever's happened that's happened now aim for the reliable the good the true the well guided aim as best you can out of the world of ignorance craving aversion fear mistrust guilt regret worry passion you know aim out of that <laughs> the results are going to come here and they'll be for your lasting welfare and benefit and so you know I mean that's that's why it's taught and the Buddha wouldn't have bothered <laughs> if it wasn't true he wouldn't have told it wasn't true and he wouldn't have bothered to teach it if you couldn't get it why bother to talk about it if nobody can understand it and practice it and if it didn't lead to your welfare, why teach it? Because it is true, it does lead to your welfare, and you can do it. It's taught. And you can do it with a single word, and you can do it just by refraining. And you don't have to do that much, just stop doing it. That's considered skillful. Because <laughs> we're also in a, in a we're amazing, we're in a regenerative, regenerative experience. This means if we just refrain, you know, that has skillful results. The system starts to reorganize itself just through not cramming yourself, you know, with the crazy stuff. Things start to empty out. But the roots, you know, even though the, you know, the content may empty out, which is beautiful to see, you know, just having abstained from that for Ten years or so, it just don't, doesn't go there anymore. But the roots, that requires a little more work. Because you've got to, the roots for passion, for irritation, for aversion, for guilt, they're still, they're still lingering. So now you've got to actually get in there, penetrate. But once you've begun to get faith in cause and effect, and that you can do it, and you can make meaningful movements for your own welfare that will last long last long lasting benefit free special offer <laughs> okay low tech <laughs> yeah well okay won't do me any harm will it okay good have a go you know and then you, this is the way you cultivate you begin, it's not just about external how do I relate to this apparent experience, you know, intimate experience of being me, you know, however illusory that is, because once you create a me, it's an object, so you know, you should begin to at least intellectually fathom, this is just a dancing flame, you know, lit by passion and confusion, so, but still, there it is, so, let's try the old, um, bit of the old loving kindness, yeah. <laughs> And a bit of restraint around it, and a bit of, um, you know, kind of skillful states towards that. Uh, generate those, generate those, a bit of forgiveness, and, and recognizing the things that it gets burnt up by. Take them away, you know, remove, abstain from pride, neuros you know, obsessive selfishness. Hoarding, <laughs> hoarding, 
jealousy, competition, staying from projecting that onto others and onto any, anything that you call a self, whether it's external, out there or internal. Refrain from it. This is just really a really beautiful thing to do. So, you know, you can see people, oh, he's one of those, not case. You don't need to do that. <laughs> no, oh, she's only this. No, it's not skillful. So, because we just know any, any objective reality is very illusory. What you trust is your generosity, your, your faith, your compassion, your concern, your respect. It's that you know. That's good stuff. So you bring it any direction you can. So what's called the, you know, the external, it's not the there-ness. The there-ness and the here-ness. And you know, it's, it's, it's mentioned it's because it is there's a you know, the Satipatthana Sutta. You have this refrain externally, internally, and it seems to be rather unfortunate that that's sort of limited to internal means yourself, external means other people. It doesn't really make seem very convincing because it says you contemplate, for example. Breathing and out internally and externally. I don't contemplate other people's breathing. I've never done it. I've never seen anybody do it. I think if you did, you might get arrested. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is like an evasion of privacy, right? I'll get off. I'll breathe my own breath, you know. So it doesn't quite make sense to me, but. I can get the sense, oh, maybe that means, you know, those, those, those experiences such as sensation, which I can see as objectively, that's breathing. Also, the intimate experience of something, energy moving, you know, that's, that's here and that's there. There's a different, there's a different focus. And they, here, there. And particularly, you know, to the mind internally means maybe the mindset, whether the mind is tight or constricted or spacious. Externally, the way the mind behaves. And when it's irritable, kindly, confused, or whatever. So things we can see, that's that. And very important not to judge the external, which is, you know, because then you lose, you just fix on the externals. Objectification, it means, you know, okay, it seems that she was a bit irritable to me yesterday. Let's not freeze that as a profile of this person. (laughs) You know, when you recognize a person is experiencing extreme constriction, (laughs) extreme anxiety, tightness, well, what's going to happen? Anybody's going to get irritable when they're in that, or she's got a migraine, or you know, kid just died or something. What do you? So we can so judge behaviour without really understanding the internal basis from which that behaviour has been that supports that behaviour. So we know this person's 
you know, manifesting unskillful states, they're probably not very good, they're not very healthy inside at the moment. Give them a bit of space and a bit of encouragement. Don't give them more blame and so forth. That's not going to help, is it? And then this one, when this one is a bit grumpy, moody, so forth, and saying, stop it, it should behave like a disgrace. Monk shouldn't be this way. Face all these years you've been meditating, disgrace, Buddhism. <laughs> You're supposed to be a leading light to the world. <laughs> this was happening. Okay, sort of, you know, overwhelmed by trying to manage a Gmail or something. <laughs> Just take your time, calm down, somebody will help you. <laughs> so we begin to sort of just cover it all and with that emphasis on the, the internal because it's actually more accurate, the here-ness. And you can be aware of it. And as you the awareness and the way that awareness responds to the internal is very extremely significant. External things, you get, you're pretty good at object definition, you know, sharp focus. Doesn't work so well on the internals. What's really needed is a kind of more heart-based sense, where things don't have to be that razor-sharp clear, but you get the general sense of pressure. Pressure. What does this need? It's a, it's a relational sense. It needs a bit of space, or, you know, let's listen to this, or, you know, tight, tight, okay, what's needed? Sense of allowing, right? And so you, you read, you read things differently internally, and the law of the internal, protocols of the internal, are relationally imbued with goodwill. Where the law of the external, you don't have to have goodwill to the clock, <laughs> you know. Or the, and so we speak really, really. I think certainly with meditation, I really recommend not to get too razor, uh, you know, confused with the razor sharp focus stuff, because you can get pretty tight and intense with that. And does it really bring give rise to skillful states? Some, I'm sure. But when you relate, focus, awareness relates to the internal, the relational aspect always has to be spot on or grows towards a healthier, healthier, fluid, loving, steady qualities that are a joy to yourself and a treasure and a gift to the world. Love is the breath of life. That's what it's living for, isn't it? We're not living here so we can get a wristwatch or get to work on time. No matter what they tell you. <laughs> We're living here to feel good and share it. That's what keeps me alive. So, let's continue our... Explorations and cultivations